It's an official new league year. 2021 NFL season has officially kicked off. And what better timing could we have had coinciding this show with the first official day of the 2021 season? I'm Anthony Cazenza with the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast and CincyJungle.com. And John, it's been a whirlwind. There's even some news that hit right before we started live here. So we'll get to that. But uh, how you doing, man? You collected? You, you feeling good about everything that's been going on with with the team how how we how we feeling so far i got a question for you what is the difference between the cincinnati Bengals and me right now Hmm. i i don't know john i am sitting on my hands actually (laughs) there he is the resident comedian of the show i love it i love it uh well it's good to see you as always man i know we we had a cool fun little show yesterday and talked about some things kind of brought everybody up to speed some more happenings today and i'm gonna let you take the lead here as we kind of get into what the Bengals have done what they haven't done and you know where where we stand and we can kind of go back and forth we're, we're going to talk about that we've got a state your case segment we're going to get to a lot of people may not like that one but oh well we're going to do it uh <laughs> we've got <laughs> We've got a soundbite of the week, and then we're going to do a draft profile. We've been doing a lot of free agency profiles. We're going to do a prospect profile, so we're going to talk about that, one of the first ones we've done. But, John, um, if you would, man, bat some lead off for us and uh, tell us kind of – I don't know if you want to start with some of the most recent things, but go for it. Let's do a quick overview about everything that's happened since free agency really began on Monday. Bengals were quiet for most of Monday. You saw some big deals offensive linemen go off the board you saw some big deals around the league go off the board Bengals waited until i believe monday night to ink their first big deal of the free agency period with trey hendrickson they signed him for four years 15 million per 10 million guaranteed at signing they did that after carl lawson took a very lucrative offer from the new york jets that gave him 30 million in guaranteed that's how the Bengals really started and the reports from that night that they were going to be in on a corner cornerback from the Pittsburgh Steelers. But before that happened, they went out and signed Shadobia Wuze for three years, about seven million per um, about a, I believe seven million dollar signing bonus as well. And then they got Mike Hilton at cornerback just a couple hours later from the Pittsburgh Steelers, a four year deal worth six million per. So very much to like what they did last year, instead of addressing anything on the offense, they went defensive line, two cornerbacks, one boundary, one slot guy. And they they did that to replace some guys that are leaving. Like Carl Lawson left, William Jackson left for the Washington football team, I think a day later. Mackenzie Alexander is still up in the air. But you have Hendrickson replacing Lawson. You have Awuze replacing William Jackson. You have Hilden replacing Alexander. So Bengals are just just just, fill, just filling holes that they're creating because other guys are leaving or they decided not to match those offers. And as all this happened, still no really news on the offensive line. The whole market with the offensive line right now is – a little bit in the flux. You have some guys coming off the board. I think there were a couple of trades that happened today that we can talk about later. But a lot of the big names at offensive line, they have found homes and they have found deals that probably were never in the Bengals range in terms of what they like to offer and how they like to structure deals. But the Bengals took a turn to just retain some of their own players now. So in the past couple of days, they brought back Brandon Wilson on a two-year deal, very similar to what they paid him last year. They brought back Tony Brown, a cornerback for a one-year deal. And then today they brought back Samaje Pirine for two for two years as well. So Bengals are just filling out the roster, filling out um, the remaining uh, internal free agents before they look at some other names. And one of the big names is that we mentioned a couple of week, couple weeks ago, Kenny Galladay. The Bengals 
have an offer for Kenny Galladay out there. Kenny Galladay is going to visit with the New York Jets, who are believed to offer him more of a multi-year deal. But that really is the big storyline right now because, I mean, Bengals, no activity on the offensive line. We don't know exactly who they're really looking at and when they're really going to start moving on that because, unfortunately, some names are going off the board. But as of right now, Bengals have an offer for Kenny Galladay. I believe it's a one-year deal. And you know, let's go ahead and talk about that, Anthony, because Galladay is your guy. You mentioned him a couple weeks ago, but I don't think we expected you know the Bengals to be in the mix for Galladay for for this exact scenario where it's just a one year deal and it's for Galladay to really I guess re up his market um, next year when the cap kind of goes up. Yeah, I, and it, I I hate to be the the editor here, but I, I think I think you said Jets. I think it's the Giants that are that are pushing right, to, yeah. to be the interested. Jets lost, but, but hell, hell of a rundown by you there. there. I mean, there's a lot of lot of stuff to digest there. But yes, that that is kind of one of the the most recent headlines. I think you may have mentioned it too. Samaj P. Ryan, I, I had heard uh, mm-hmm. the Bengals reinked him. So that's, that's something that just happened right before we took the air here on Wednesday evening. But to me, you know, a lot of, every time I say something on Twitter about Galladay, we don't need him. We already have a guy like him in T Higgins. We don't need him. Uh, you know, we need speed. We need speed. We need speed. Well, the Bengals had speed on the roster, whether, and with John Ross, and they didn't know how to use him. whether it was the Bengals fault, John Ross's fault, both parties fault. They didn't, they, couldn't use him because he wasn't available or when he was available, they didn't know how to use him, didn't want to use him, what have you. Now, another speed guy like Curtis Samuel, yeah, that, that'd be a great option as well. I'm fine with that. But my point is it, it seems as if Galladay could potentially step in and fill the role that they were trying to create for A.J. Green last year. And they, I think they knew that A.J. Green was maybe losing a step at his age and all of that. But Galladay, a lot younger. He would be uh, pretty expensive. Um, and I think what they're trying to do is maybe do an incentive-heavy one-year deal and kind of a deal where it's like, hey, prove it, rental rental type of deal for this team. And, you know, he can he can go elsewhere for that for, you know, after that deal's done. But, you know, I think what, what my point with pushing Galladay is, and go back to a few weeks ago when we did a free agent profile on him. He high points the ball. He makes contested catches. He's got size. And yeah, the Bengals have players like that on the roster, Auden Tate, T. Higgins, but it's a mold they seem to like. And it, and it's a mold that Joe Burrow seems to like. You know, there's the back shoulder throws. There there are some tight windows. I think, John, you had mentioned some some stats a, a couple of weeks ago as well with Joe Burrow and throwing in tight windows and whatnot. I mean, it just seems to be a guy that fits well into this offense and can step into that A.J. Green role and probably excel far more so than Green did in that role last year. So, you know, it's all about health, and I think that's why there's a one-year deal on the table. But, you know, when, when everybody's so quick to dismiss Galladay and his value to the team because he's not the quote-unquote small speed guy, I, I kind of balk at that a little bit because I, I think he brings a lot to the table for this team. And I think if the Bengals were to land him, that is a gigantic move uh, for progress on offense. So let's go ahead and give some credit to Malik Wright, who we mentioned on the water cooler chat yesterday, a fantastic Bengals insider. If you guys aren't following him, definitely follow Malik Wright on Twitter. But he mentioned that from what he heard, and I, I believe anything that this guy says about the Bengals, because he's very in tune with, with this kind of stuff. What, what he heard is that Galladay approached the Bengals about a one year deal. And he said that he wanted to play with Joe Burrow. Like I, 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 what I imagine is that the Bengals, they, they like know who Kenny Galladay is, but they don't think that they're really in, in play for him they think he's probably gonna sign for a little bit more than they're comfortable with but when you have a premier receiver approach you and say i want to play with your quarterback i want to play for a year you know to get that production get a full season under my belt and then re-enter the market in a year when the cap goes up 
I think that's when the Bengals kind of took that chance and just said, you know what, screw it. Let's just offer this guy a one-year deal, pay him what, whatever, he, whatever he wants for this, this this year, and then allow him to kind of rebuild his market. So right now, like like that that's that, that's what's going on. And I think Malik also said during his show before this show aired that he considers the Bengals the favorites to sign Kenny Galladay for that specific reason. The the only other major player here is the New York Giants, and as we said, Galladay is taking a visit with them, and I believe the Giants are going to offer him a multi-year deal but it's it's more of on the modest side because unfortunately right now with the receiver market where it is it's it's not as lucrative as some of these free agent receivers expected it to be maybe teams aren't necessarily comfortable giving Galladay what he wants or what he wanted um before free agency began so it's really up to Galladay to decide do I want to take a one-year deal do I want to play with a with a quarterback that I want to play with a quarterback that I know is going to give me the ball and give me the production that I need to get a a, a deal that fits who I am as, as a, as a, as a receiver, or do I want to take more stability playing a city that I, I would be, I would, lo- I would want to play. And there's apparently mutual interest from both sides with Galladay in New York. And that that's, the, that's the decision he has to make. And I think it's up to New York to convince him that that's the place where he needs to be for the next few years. Because if not, I think there is, I, I think there's a, a good chance that he chooses the Bengals deal and just kind of ups his value for a year. And I, I know people are like, well, why sign Galladay for only a year? I don't think they would be in play to give him, you know, the guaranteed money that he desires for the next few years. And again, he may not want that. He may want to just take this year, be a, be a stud that we know he is, be healthy, and then try again next year. And who knows if the Bengals would be interested next year, but I don't think they really care about that. I think they just are seeing an opportunity with a really talented guy and they're just taking advantage of it because they have the space. It's about eliminating needs going into the draft. We've said this ad nauseum on this show, John. It's about the elimination of uh, of feeling desperate going into next month's draft and and reaching for players. They did, this team does not want to do that. Duke Tobin does not want to do that. And if even if they're able to get a very talented wide receiver on a one year deal, fine. But it's a guy that that helps. They did the same thing with AJ Green last year, a one-year deal. I mean, it, it, they have four open vacancies in the receiver group, and they need to fill it with talent there, and they need to have some explosion on offense. Now, Galladay, I, I think he has ample downfield threat. I don't think he's a great downfield threat in terms of speed and whatnot, but the fact that he can make a contested catch downfield, T. Higgins made some deep ball plays last year, and he's not known as a burner either. So these are these are things that uh, you know I, I think. And I think he hit the nail on the head with the Kenny Galladay wants to play with Joe Burrow, maybe to to pad the stats to get himself a good contract next year. And maybe that's the opportunity there that he sees as the best one. But I think this would be an exciting move for the team. I know we're craving offensive linemen. I know we're cre- we're craving interior defensive linemen. I, I know all of that. But you know, I mean, there's there's so many holes on this roster. You got to kind of get what you can with it. And if this is a, a kind of a savvy move, the wide receiver market seems to be a very interesting and weird one this year. Um, the Bengals may pounce on basically the best wide receiver on the free agents market here. And ho- even if it's a one-year deal, I, I think that's a win for him. You're muted. I think. Sorry about that. Okay. If Kenny Galladay is the best receiver on the market, then it can be argued that Riley Reef is the best offensive tackle on the market. And we just got this off the wire. I think the comment section is blowing up about it. The Bengals are reportedly going to host Riley Reef on a visit, on a free agent visit. I believe it would be tomorrow sometime this week. So that's an interesting move. Like Again, like we said, there hasn't been a lot of 
movement with some of these these street free agents at offensive line and offensive tackle specifically. You have Bobby Massia also on on the market as well, I believe. Uh, who who else is out there? Eric Fisher, uh, Mitchell Schwartz is still there. Rick Ricky Wagner from the Packers, Alejandro Villanueva, Russell Okung. So there are still quality names off the tackle, but it, it appears that the Bengals are eyeing Riley Reef, who I believe is a career left tackle, and he was cut by the Vikings as essentially a cap casualty. So I, I guess what 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 are your thoughts on like Reef as, as like where do you see them playing, and and is is this more than just is this just like a stopgap and you know not necessarily a long term solution because he is thirty three years old. It's definitely not a long-term solution. Uh, he's a guy I think that brings a lot of value in ways other than just stabilizing potentially the you know the right right tackle spot. It sounds like the Bengals are committed to Jonah Williams. Duke Tobin said it, and you know I mean it, it, there's not going to be a lot of shuffling here. So I think that this would be a Bobby Hart replacement, and you know he's he's a captain. Um, he's been a captain on the Vikings, and uh, again, it's not a long-term solution. It's a guy that can step in and stabilize things for for the short term, and maybe this is if the Bengals feel that Panay Sewell is maybe a year or two away from being a capable starter, maybe this is w- this is why you would go this route. You still draft a Sewell, you let him develop for a year or two, and work it that way. Uh, I, I don't. I think Reef would be an upgrade. I don't know that he's an exponential upgrade. Um, but it's some, you know, at this point, it's kind of like, well, who's out there. He's one of the biggest names out there. One of the best names out there. And the Bengals need to do something to fortify that offensive line and even bring it up to average to maybe even slightly above average standards. And this would be a move in that direction. I don't know what their initial plan was on offensive line. I think they imagined names like reef would still be here, um, on the first day of the, of the new league year. Um, but yeah, like, like reef is, a little bit interesting because again, he's played most of his career left tackle. He started, I believe, eight seasons for both the Lions and the Vikings. He was more of a backup in his first season with the Lions. He only he's only played one year at right tackle, and that was his last year in Detroit. But it was still a quality year. I think he still had a PFF grade of sixty nine, and his average grade has always been kind of in that low to mid seventy range. So um, he does have that experience with, with playing that one side. So I would I, again, I would assume that he is just is there as a placeholder at right tackle, depending on what they may or may not do in the draft. But yeah, they need to do something, unfortunately. And we, we can kind of talk about, you know, what they didn't do in the leading up to these, to these days is because unfortunately, a lot, a lot of quality offense linemen are off the board. You had Rodney Hudson and Gabe Jackson, just getting traded away from the Raiders. Uh, today you had Joe Tooney, you had Matt Filer, Kevin Zeiler, all leave for other teams so like their options are limited and i think reef is one of the better ones available again it's, it's not something that's going to completely fix everything but in terms of just solidifying one spot for just a year just like galladay I, th- I think it would be a quality move and and it definitely would mean the end of bobby hart's time here I, i'm i'm glad you brought up filer's name because there's also you know what regardless of what maybe you do with with reef if for some reason god forbid there is a jonah williams injury of some kind um, the fact that Reef does have pro experience playing either tackle position, I think that bodes well for the team in terms of flexibility and contingency plans, right? So I think that that's something that brings value. And fi- that's why I thought Filer was a guy, a guy who has some guard experience and right tackle experience, effective at both spots uh, for, the, for the Pittsburgh Steelers. That's why I thought that guy would, would make a lot of sense for this team. And the fact I know you've got a take on this uh, <laughs> with his contract that he got, uh, I, I was a little stunned that the, the, the Bengals didn't make a better play for him. I thought just having that flexibility, you, you maybe kill two birds with one stone with a guy like that. So 
fans have been all off the walls these past couple of days because like where is the o-line where is the o-line like what's the plan are, are did they did they grift us like did they say they were going to prioritize offense line just completely ignore that i think just, just taking a step back and looking at what they did and what they're probably going to do right they addressed edge rusher aggressively like we said they would if they lost carl Lawson. They, they addressed cornerback pretty aggressively with two signings there they're definitely looking at a starting caliber receiver. If not Galladay, there's still other options available. And they're looking at some of the bargain options on offense line. In in theory, I think that's a fine plan of attack. I don't think that they necessarily lied about anything. They definitely not, they're definitely not sitting on their hands, which is just the lazy excuse at this point. But the Filer one, I think, is the one that still kind of stings the most. I know people got up on, on Tooney and Zyler to a, to a degree, but I, I do think the Filer deal is the one that's going to bite them in the back. Just the guy who who can play both guard spots and has played his best years at right tackle to sign for a deal that, that you know, on, on an average annual value perspective is very similar to what Bobby Hart signed. Unfortunately, I believe he got his first two years of base salary guarantee, but still the Bengals could have worked around that. They could have offered a year two roster bonus to kind of incentivize the deal a little bit, or maybe just offer him a little bit more money. I still feel like that that, was their biggest missed opportunity so far in free agency. And if and had they had done that, the perception about these first few days in free agency would be completely different. And they still they still could have afforded to do that because they could have just dumped Bobby Hart on the street after they signed him. So I feel like there, there's a lot of hate and up in arms about the Bengals not addressing the offensive line. And I know a lot of names have gone off the board, but I think Filer is still like the, the one big one that I think they are going to regret missing. But... They're, again, there's still names available, and they're, they're definitely still interested. They were talking to guys today out offensive line, and it seems like Reef has significant interest to playing here anyways. I Yeah, I mean, I don't want to belabor the, the the points of what they didn't do or and a guy went elsewhere when the Bengals didn't really seem to pursue him. So, I mean, it, well said, and I I don't really understand the logic as to you know why they they haven't been sitting on their hands overall, but they've been kind of sitting on their hands in terms of the offensive line. Um, and that's, that's a little curious to me. Let's, I, I guess, um, we can talk about maybe who left. Uh, we talked a little bit about, you know, who's coming, going and who the Bengals have re-signed. We haven't really talked about Carl Lawson and William Jackson at this point. Um, and I think that'll segue kind of, kind of well in a little bit to the state, your case. And I've got one more question. I want to get your opinion on too, John, but they're gone. Carl Lawson and William Jackson are both gone. The Bengals rolled the dice, not putting the franchise tag on those guys. Maybe they thought they had a good chance at Carl Lawson. I don't know that William Jackson was ever truly in their plans. They pounced on cornerbacks very early in free agency. So I don't think that William Jackson and Mackenzie Alexander were really the guys that they targeted. They seemed to be all over Mike Hilton um, and, and a guy that I think could bring a lot of value to this team as a slot corner, just a physical presence in the secondary. But I, I, your thoughts on – the Bengals not retaining either of one of those guys. They did make a move to, I mean, essentially they made, they made moves to remedy the losses. It's just a matter of how much do you think that they, that they fixed uh, those losses with the two signings they made there. But uh, those two guys are gone. And I I think that stings to some degree to a lot of fans. Yeah. I think it's important to note that you have to compare the additions of a woozy and Hilton to the losses of both 
William Jackson, Mackenzie Alexander. Not just the fact that you can pay Awuzie and Hilton for the same price as William Jackson, but you're replacing two guys with two guys. You're not replacing one guy with two guys for the same cost. That's a very important distinction to make. And honestly, like, like we said, like they just they lost three guys and they replaced three guys. Whether they are improvements in the defense that Blue Interim wants to work wants to run remains to be seen we know that they're all 26 27 years old um hilden is definitely more of an established player out of the three and, and one of the better players at this position which and it's it's an upgrade over alexander and you, and you paid for the upgrade because you paid him a lot more than what you paid alexander a lot more what you could have paid alexander instead this year but i think a and uh hendrickson are just like right now they're, they're just not the players that william jackson and carl Austin are and that is shown by the contracts that that they signed like they went a little bit cheaper just to get you know quality bodies there but at the end of the day they're still downgrades until they prove that they're better in this defense overall so it's it's almost like you know just just doing enough to get by i guess trading water is a term that i saw on twitter today not necessarily going out and aggressively improving at those positions which unfortunately with the contracts they they like to offer and like the structure it's kind of what the reality was going to be i guess so it's unfortunate you know it was definitely like the it was either they were going to keep Lawson and lose Jackson or they were going to lose both. And because of the deal that Lawson got from New York, it just happened to be they, they lost both. But we said that they were going to be aggressive in replacing Lawson and they were decently aggressive in replacing Jackson. So, you know, kudos to them for at least filling those spots. So they don't have to address them in the draft, but it'll, it'll be interesting to see if those guys actually play better in this in this scheme. I I think if I'm and I don't want to speak for you so definitely let me know if I if I'm speaking out of turn for you here but you I, could always I think, speak for me you're, you're uh, very uh, person. oh thank hey thanks buddy you're we all know you're the resident football genius around these parts but um look I, I mean I think I think we can look at the uh woozy signing woozy a signing and uh we can look at the Hilton signing and say we like those signings but there's there's this over here. Those are still, you know, to a degree quality signings. There's just, you know, these other lingering departures in the, in the background that make you, make you pause a little bit. But I, I want to ask you this, and I guess we can transition into the state, your case in just a second here from, from here, John. Uh, but look, uh, it, it, the Bengals lost loss and they lost William Jackson. They, they got the two corners. They got Trey Hendrickson, uh, a guy who was up there in leaders and quarterback sacks last year. If the Bengals were to sign at this point a couple of these guys we talked about that they're visiting and or sending contracts out to, if the Bengals were to sign at this point a Riley Reef, a Kenny Galladay, and maybe they re-sign, let's just say for the sake of argument, Quentin Spain, right? Um, if if they make those three moves there, I, I think right now we're all in a lukewarm, maybe airing on the side of not a great free agency start to, for the Bengals. If the Bengals are to make like those types of moves, those three moves or something like it, how would you feel then about the Bengals free agency class uh, to, to that point? I think it's solid. You know, it's not spectacular by any means, because at the end, you still have to look at where you were entering and where you are exiting. And obviously, the draft still is going to impact the dynamic of what this team is. Right. And you, you got you have to assume that regardless of what they do on the offensive line, they're going to address offensive line in the draft as well, maybe a receiver as well. It just kind of feels like with Galladay, that's a one-year deal that we know. With Reef, he's 32-33, so it can't be more than a two-year deal. You can't expect more than two quality years from Reef. And with Spain, he's also, I think, 29, 30 years old. So you're not looking at a long-term fix there. So it's really just betting on just one 
one year of seeing what the offense can do and kind of going from there. And, and then you're going to unfortunately have to replace those guys in a year. Whereas with the defense, they kind of went for some long-term uh, replacements and try to get some long-term stability there. So I think overall the free agency class would be oh, along the lines of, of last year, which I guess, you know, Riley Reef is a better acquisition than Xavier Sofiel. So you're improving for, from your offensive line standpoint. And Kenny Galladay is obviously much better than Mike Thomas, who they signed last year. So maybe better on the offense, even though it's more of a short term, but maybe not as promising as what the defense was last year. Honestly, I'll, I want to throw this comparison out. Like, and I said this on Twitter, Mike Hilton replacing Mackenzie Alexander seems a lot like DJ Reader replacing Andrew Billings, where it's a, you know, it, it's, it's a clear upgrade and it's going to make your defense better. But they like went out of their way to get like one of the best guys at a premium p- price for that position to replace a position that's not exactly, I guess, a premium one. You know, Reader playing nose tackle, Hilton playing slot cornerback. So that's that's just kind of what they can do with with the money that they're able to offer. So I think in general, like the free agency class would be you know decent in that B B plus range if you were given a grade. But I don't know, man. I feel like the fact that there's not a lot of long term answers on offense would kind of leave some left to be desired. Uh, I agree. To to an extent, and I you know I'd be pretty excited about uh, particularly the Galladay signing, even if it is a short term deal. But you're right, the lot the lack of what would seem to be a lot of long term answers um, based on some of these some of these names were thrown out there. A Galladay on a one year deal. You mentioned Riley Reef on a short term. What would be in all likelihood a short term deal? You know uh, that that concerns me a little bit, but um, you know th- there would be some names, and and th- those would be at least short-term upgrades in certain areas. There, Spain, you know, you'd like to think another year, and maybe playing his more natural position. You know, maybe that would be the key that that helps out the offense. There's, a, you know, we're still looking at at Trey Hopkins rehabbing. We think he's going to be back week one, but that's a situation to monitor, and I'm sure the Bengals are trying to watch that very closely. Uh, you know, you've got a bunch of kind of guys in the interior offensive line, and then you're looking to upgrade a Bobby Hart. So, I mean, there there are uh, there is a lot of work to do on this on this offensive line still, and I, I think almost now a reef signing is almost a necessity at this point of being one of the better names out there. Uh, you know, I know you want to fix the interior offensive line, but uh, you know, I, I, I think you gotta, you gotta start putting some, some improvements on that offensive line. And again, like if you, if you, if you sign Riley reef, it's not like you can just, you know, pat yourself on the back and say, we well, improved offensive line. Like at the end of the day, like Riley reef is going to fall off the cliff sooner or later. Like if it's not this year, it'll probably be next year. So we don't, like it's just not known. It's bank like a lot. Every available body out there right now is is an unknown in in some way, shape, or form. Whether they're young and they're coming off bad years, like like a Trey Turner, who I still think should and can be in the mix, or they're on the older side, which is what most of the tackles are. Riley Reef is like one of the older oldest tackles on the market available. So you know, like if you sign Reef, you don't have to take a tackle there at five, but I think they would still. It would still be the favorite, I guess, going into the draft because you know Riley Reef being 33 years old and being on a one or two year deal should not sway you from taking a tackle like a Panesu or or Rashawn Slayer if that's how they feel about them. So it would just you know pencil in you know um, starters at positions of need, but it doesn't, I guess, really change the the dynamic of how they should address the draft. Well, I think we've got we've got you caught up on everything, at least up to Wednesday evening, comings, goings, visits, contracts, all of that stuff. And there, there's been a lot to to comb through, but excellent work by my colleague John Sheeran and all the all the 
folks at Cincy Jungle putting up just all kinds of different articles and updates, whatnot. So keep it to CincyJungle.com for all of your free agency updates, opinions, analysis. And of course, our show, all of the shows on the Cincy Jungle podcast channel, whether it's the Orange and Black Insider, which is this show, whether it's Orange is the New Black hosted by Ace and Zim or Chalk Talk by Matt Minnick. Get it on your favorite audio streamer. Subscribe to our YouTube channel if you can. We, we appreciate it. You get notified when we go live. We're also going to be doing some listener questions live. Should be some awesome developments, we hope, mm. uh, since uh, when we go live on Friday afternoon. So please join us live. What's that? I mean, that's going to be great because it's either going to be positive or completely negative. Yeah, yeah. So I'm be, yeah. To that. <laughs> yeah, that'll be an interesting one. But uh, start getting those questions teed up and over to us. We'll talk to you Friday afternoon on that one. But still a lot to get to on this episode. And one of the things to get to, John, is the state your case. We've been doing this one for a little bit, so let's get to it. All right, fancy state your case there. Let's go. Here's the deal, John. This time of year, everybody examines contracts. Everybody examines what the Bengals didn't do, what they what they did do, the guys they brought in. And immediately upon Carl Lawson leaving, the Bengals pounce on Trey Hendrickson, give him a lucrative deal, one that is pretty similar to what uh, Carl Lawson got. Obviously, difference in the guaranteed money. And you look at it and you say, okay, what happens with all of us? We've done it on this show. Other shows do it. Other analysts do it. You dive into the weeds into stats on some of these guys, you know, a, a, a kind of a trend around the league because of PFF and all kinds of other analytics providers. You look at these other under the surface stats, right? Carl Lawson was one of the top guys in terms of quarterback hits and pressures. And, you know, he was a guy that create what was that ESPN stat creating sacks for others, mm-hmm. uh, all of those things. And they all make a lot of sense. William Jackson, one of the best, you know, one of the better corners in the league over the past couple of years in terms of disallowing a high amount of completions, completion percentage, all of that, all of those sort of things. And it's kind of becoming a trend and rightfully so that you look at further, you look further into these analytics. So you're not getting, uh, you know, kind of fool's gold with, with some of these signings or draft picks, et cetera. So one of the, one of the contention points with, with Hendrickson is the fact that he played with some talent around him. He was the benefactor of a lot of different sacks. He, he was able to get some quarterback sacks that others created kind of the thing that hurt Lawson in terms of the surface stats, if you will. But here's the thing, John, we can look at, oh, they front loaded it too much, too much guaranteed money for a player like that, too much. And there's a lot of talk about that. And you we, you can sit here and say that. And we have, I know we have opinions about it. Here's the bottom line. People get a little too, in my, we're getting a little too much in the weeds in some of these signings, in my opinion. And what I mean by that is sometimes it's okay to look at these surface stats. And when you look at particularly the losses of Carl Lawson and William Jackson. I want to preface the fact that I wanted both of those guys to remain Bengals. Let's not, let's not color that. I think if the Bengals were somehow able to sign Carl Lawson and sign Trey Hendrickson, you've got a nice formidable duo and a nice pass rush rotation there. Well, that didn't happen. They went with one and not the other. So uh, my point is this team has sorely, sorely lacked big plays on defense, turnovers, quarterback sacks, and whatnot. And 
the reality is whether these, whether Carl Lawson and William Jackson are creating opportunities for others, failing to capitalize on golden opportunities for some of these big plays, the stats in these columns are not there for them. And they are a little bit more on some of these new free agent acquisitions that they brought in, in cornerback, the two cornerbacks they brought in and Hendrickson. Hendrickson had 13 and a half sacks last year. He had, I think, four and a half the year before. So it was quite, quite the leap. Now there's an argument to say, okay, is he just an ascending young player right now? And he's hitting his stride like a Shaquille Barrett. This was a very similar thing. More snaps, hit his stride, ended up being one of the most dominant pass rushers in the league. The Bengals are hoping for that trend. Um, now we, we could be looking at a one-year wonder and some of these people could be right about him being the benefactor of a lot of surrounding talent. And that's why he got some of these numbers. But Here's the thing. I know we can talk about the under the surface stats and these deep dive stats. We do it on this show. A lot of other people do it. Sometimes you got to look at it and say, this guy sacks the quarterback. These guys intercept the football. And that's been missing on these teams. And, and oh, by the way, Mike Hilton's a very good blitzing cornerback. He can also blitz from the slot. That's that's something that the Bengals covet. And, and he, his ability to do different things in a defense. So I think there's been a little bit of a, a harshness and I usually am the guy who is harsh on the Bengals for their lack of moves and lack of star power and outside free agency. But I, I was sorry to see William Jackson go. I was sorry to see Carl Lawson go. I would have preferred they stayed and they supplemented those guys with a couple of these players. That's not the route they went. You had an argument a couple of weeks ago, John, which I largely agreed with about quality over quantity and free agency. Well, they did a little bit of the opposite here, but they still are getting guys who have quality production in a lot of different ways. They're just more of the surface stats. And maybe it's the trend is we got to look, we got to look deeper. We got to look at all this stuff. Yeah, you do. But the bottom line is these guys get after the quarterback and they intercept the football. And this Bengals defense has not been good at either in either of those areas. Last, well, they have 17 sacks as a team last year. This mm -hmm. guy's bringing in 13 and a half from last year. So whether you think they overpaid for him, whether you didn't like this specific stat, I think we're getting a little too lost in the weeds. Those of us who are overly critical of how these contracts are structured for these, primarily these three new faces coming into the franchise and, or, you know, they're front loaded. If they're back loaded, the years, all that kind of stuff. The bottom line is this team needs to start winning. These this team needs to start improving in very important and obvious areas on in multiple facets on their team. And these guys bring pass rush ability, and they bring the ability to intercept the football and bring youth and athleticism in those areas. So I, I, I want to let you chime in as well. I'm going to say this. You know, you look at you look at a a, a woozy a woozier. He's going to be 26 in the season. Uh, he's 25 right now. In May, he turns 20, 26. William Jackson in the season is going to be 29, uh, and he turns 29 in October. So there's also an argument to say, again, with Awuzie, hopefully that's a guy who is a younger ascending player. And what we've seen from William Jackson, his three career interceptions and whatnot, that's, we've kind of seen his prime in the mid to late twenties at this point. And uh, you know, this, what, what could be occurring is that the Bengals are getting a player, particularly in a and maybe Hendrickson as well, that are hitting their prime, hitting their stride based on some of the stats we've seen in, in recent seasons. Just to clear the air, because I, I don't, I, I just want to figure it out now. The, the pronunciation is a So 
okay. kudos to you for actually getting that. All so, right. uh, just, just because he's here for the next three years, I don't want to keep going back and forth for how to say his name. Um, so we talked about like, you know, these stage your cases, they're, they're kind of like almost like mind melding. I'll, I'll give, I'll give a counter, but also I, I, I do tend to agree with you for the most part. I think with the Bengals perspective, and we kind of talked about this on Tuesday, they're banking on these guys developing and ascending into better players than they are right now, which is why they can offer these contracts because on the surface, it looks like Trey Hendrickson and Carl Lawson got the same deal. That's not true. Trey Hendrickson got $20 million less guaranteed mm-hmm. than Carl Lawson did, even though the AAV is the same. But like they're banking on Hendrick. Like Hendrickson has to take that because he's not the player that Carl Lawson is right now. And it's possible that you know at 26, 27 years old, 2020 was not necessarily a, an outlier. And that's like the, the start of something for Hendrickson. It may not be 13 and a half sacks every year. But you saw his, his pass rushing grade increase. You saw his snaps increase, and you saw his production increase. So the, the Bengals are banking on that happening, and them and him ascending into an above average player. I think they're doing the same thing with a, a Wuzier, where it's you know he has been he's been a solid starter for most of his career in Dallas. He had injuries in 2020, but again, seven million dollar per per year deal with only like seven or eight million dollars guaranteed. Like that, that's still a, a relatively cheap deal compared to what other quarterbacks are getting on the market. They're banking on him elevating his game from a just a solid starter to an above average starter. And like you said, he's younger than William Jackson, so you you would presumably be getting those prime years with, with the years that you already had with William Jackson when he was 27, 28, 20, 27, 26, 27 year, year, ah, 26, 27, 28 years old. So I do agree with that. Like they are banking on these guys ascending into better players than they are now. But I do think there is some value in looking beyond just like the traditional stats. If you're just paying for sacks and not necessarily recognizing the context of how those sacks get there, that's kind of where you end up getting into some bad deals. Now, I don't think the Trey Hendrickson deal is a bad deal in general because they can easily get out of it after two years. And I do believe that they're going to give Trey Hendrickson at least two years to prove what he is you know, as a player. But I do think there is value in looking at how production ends up happening. I think sacks... Interceptions are stats that we use to determine, you know, who gets into the Pro Bowl, who gets who gets into the Hall of Fame, but they may not tell the whole story about how consistent the player is on a snap or snap basis. The Wuzier, I think he had 25 pass defenses and only two interceptions in general, but I think he's still a solid cover corner despite the lack of interceptions with there. I think with Hilton, I think the Steelers scheme definitely benefited how much um, quarterback production he had and how many sacks that he had, but there's still talent on film that you can justify where that production came from. So. I, I do agree that these guys are potential candidates to ascend and get better. And that's, and those deals kind of reflected that, but also at the same time, I think you still have to value like where the production is coming from and how it kind of came from in the first place. I, I agree. And I'm not, this isn't a call for devaluing the under the surface stats, the, the, the kind of, you know, the, the deep dive type of stats, but I think sometimes, and this is, this is where I, I I'm guilty of it. I'm sure others are as well. Sometimes we get so wrapped up in that kind of stuff. We also, what's the what's the phrase you don't see the forest through the trees or whatnot mm-hmm. right i mean you, you kind of you focus on these things and and holistically I, you you if you don't look at it that way the bottom line is he's the guy got after the passer last year hendrickson did and wuzier seems to be a guy who's a young athletic ascending player he had a rough year last year because of some injuries but he has more career interceptions i believe than than william jackson i think he's got four william jackson has three and, you know, you've got Hilton who intercepts the ball. I think he has seven career interceptions. I'll, I'll check out that one as well. But, you know, I, the point is that this is one of those times when we criticize, if people are criticizing these moves, 
you know, basically they are getting guys that are on paper helping you in major deficient areas on your defense. Now, I think a lot of people would probably also be singing a different tune had an offensive lineman been signed to this point, had the Bengals done a lot more on offense to remedy that situation too. So I think that that put paints these in a little bit of a different light. But my, my thing is, hey, you know, for those of you dumping on these signings and uh, railing on the team for not keeping Lawson and Jackson, okay, I see your point. And there are a lot of stats to, to say these guys, whether it's the surface stuff or the below surface stuff, those guys are valuable players. I wanted the Bengals to keep them. But let's not sell these other guys short. Let's not crap all over these contracts that they gave these new guys because there are areas that uh, they excel in further on the surface than below the surface for the other guys, if that if that makes sense to you. And I will say there are much worse ways to replace Carl Austin and William Jackson both. Like I, I was my I was mildly surprised that they went after a cornerback so soon, but I, I remember back in February, like we got to keep an eye out for this mid-tier cornerback market. They're not gonna pay the Ronald Darby's or the Sha- or the Shaquille Griffins of the world. They're gonna get a little bit more real money. I think Awuzie was a fantastic signing for what they paid him and what they're expecting him to do. And hopefully, you know, he's a better zone cover corner than a man cover corner and unfortunately that was kind of the opposite of William Jackson so William Jackson you know as good as he was and as talented as he is as we all know he is you know unfortunately it's just not it was never really a fit here and he was never really destined I guess to be retained by this team so I think they did a good job of replacing him with a guy who can ascend and and Hendrickson is along that same line you know a guy who is is a primarily a pass rusher from the right side he replaces Lawson immediately and I think there is a lot of things to like about what he did last year it's just a matter of will that translate um, into a new scheme, into a new, um, into a new defensive line with a little bit less talent than when he had in New Orleans. If it if it all works out, then they definitely look good good from it. But I think you know there is a little bit of risk with with, with I guess Hendrickson and Awuzie Awuzie to a, to a certain degree. But also to their point, I, I think they do a good job of identifying guys um, in the open market that kind of fit what they want from a personality standpoint, from a schematic standpoint. And it's never it's it's never along the lines of if the deals if the player and the contract is bad it's never because the player like never really fit um, from from what they look at from all those intangible perspectives I think we liked a lot of what we heard from Hendrickson I think Awuzie is a great guy in general um, and and Hillman is obviously well respected around the league and they know him very well so kudos to them for being aggressive in re- replacing these definite holes and they were holes that needed to be replaced and couldn't have waited until the draft. William House here. You got to love when our, when our listeners do some homework for us. I love it. Uh, Hilton has blitzed 146 times from the slot in his career. The Bengals have blitzed 33 times from the slot during that same time period. Don't I, have, I haven't uh, verified that, but I tend to believe that that is a, a pretty solid statistic uh, in terms of reliability there. And that's – look, I mean, it's, it's a whole domino effect on this offense, and you got to think and hope at least. Lou Anarumo has a specific design for this defense and the way it's supposed to work and the people he's supposed to have in it. And Getting after the quarterback helps a guy like Von Bell who's maybe a little more susceptible in deep coverage. If you get after the quarterback, that masks that deficiency better so whether you're able to do that with a healthy dj reader uh mike hilton blitzing from the slot a trey hendrickson who gets after the quarterback as well uh, you know th- these are all it's all kind of some of the parts right and um i, I think that that's kind of where i'm going with this i think the Bengals have more work to do much more work to do in free agency particularly on offensive line i think that it is a bummer to see william jackson and carl lawson go but i think for those who are kind of crapping all over the signings of some of these guys, which I've seen a little bit of that. It's kind of like, well, yeah, I mean, you're, you are wise to look at these things under, under the 
under the surface, but the, the big numbers, the gaudy numbers that most average people look at in this case, I think it does bear, bear weight in terms of what the Bengals need on defense. In a nutshell, do, do the signings of Hendrickson, Wuzier, and Hilton, and I guess the, the interest in a mid-tier offensive lineman, does that really surprise you, I guess? Not, not necessarily coming from like some of the comments from Duke Tobin, Zach Taylor, but just from what this team is and how they have addressed free agency in the past. Is, is anything that they've done, I guess, really surprise you? Like if you if you were told that this was what they were going to do in free agency, would, would you have like wholeheartedly believed it or were you would you be a little bit disappointed? Both. Both. I, I, I think this is I think the Bengals love defensive backs. I think they like to pay wide receivers. And so that's why Kenny Galladay is now in this mix. I had a gut feeling and I don't want to be the guy I beat my chest. I just had a gut feeling that they were going to look at him or, or some of the top wide receivers. They're going to let the market play out. But I had a feeling that they were going to look at these guys because they have a pretty big void and they like to have a lot of talent at wide receiver. Mike Brown and his family has long loved multiple wide receiver talents. And I, I think that losing AJ is not an easy thing for this franchise to do. Uh, and, and I, I, that's why I think that makes sense. We, we thought they were maybe going to change their tune and paying guards. They did not. Um, so uh, to me, I, I am a little disappointed in terms of what they haven't done on the offensive line, but at the same time, I'm not very surprised because the, this is you're seeing a lot of the the, the franchise DNA show itself uh, in in these first few days of free agency, in my opinion. Yeah, and like for as much as they know that the offensive line needs to improve, they also knew that the the, the pass rush needed to improve, the defense line as a whole needed to improve. And like I I remember saying like right before free agency started, I would not be surprised if their most expensive acquisition was once again at defensive line. Like they knew that that was such a deficiency. And they knew that they were going to have some more affordable options in offensive line. So, you know, again, the filer whiff kind of stings and to a certain degree Zyler as well. But I think everything's kind of going along the lines of something that was a predictable path. And it's, it's just unfortunate because because Burrow got hurt and because the offense line's bad, like that, that's still like a, a big blind spot right now. But I think everything's more or less going along the lines of what they plan to do. And they like to get value deals on former high picks riley mm-hmm. reap what former first round pick right uh uh Az- he's uh awuzie excuse me is a former second round pick right um so they they like got to get value deals in free agency on some of these guys who were former high picks and that also kind of plays into their wheelhouse they like to look at guys who were you know, released and all the whole thing. There's a lot of stuff coming out that doesn't really surprise me. Uh, you know, I, it surprises me that they go maybe top, top of the market guy at wide receiver. But at the same time, I know they like to pay wide receiver. They've, they've done that a lot. So anyway, that has been this week's State Your Case. Call me dumb if you want. Let's move on from one segment to the next, and we'll get to – we've got a, a soundbite of the week. We're cruising. We've got a, a jam-packed show. We are cruising. We mentioned his name in the State Your Case, and at the beginning of the show, Bengals signed Trey Hendrickson to a, a very lucrative deal, a guy they hope can help their defense right away. Trey Hendrickson recently joined the Cincinnati media, namely Joe Daneman of Fox 19 – for a recent interview, we've got a brief clip. Kind of talk. He's kind of talking about his ascension from last year, from a four and a half sack guy to a thirteen and a half sack guy. 
a little odd that Joe Daneman's doing this interview from his car, but uh, is what it is. And in case you didn't go see it, the entire, it's about nine, 10 minutes. It's on Joe Daneman's Twitter account. It's on the Fox 19 website. This is just a very brief clip. So this is the soundbite of the week from Trey Hendrickson talking with Joe Daneman of Fox 19. This, this breakout season you had last year, 13 and a half sacks uh, near the tops in the NFL. What changed for you last year that allowed you to have the big season you had? Well, um, one, it was just uh, the environment. I mean, I absorbed everything that I've learned through Cam Jordan's work ethic, Mario Davis's work ethic, and then even the, you know, um, the way Malcolm Jenkins conducted himself. I got to feed off of them and the film study and the, the discipline that they have. And those were the attributes that I took um, and learned and grew as a football player. And then you combine that with opportunity. I mean, I was just waiting in the dark for that one moment to shine. And once I got that starting job at the beginning of the season, nobody was going to take that from me. And uh, I just took off and ran. So Trey Henderson talking with Joe Danman of Fox 19. Seems to be, you know, by by most accounts, seems to be a high character guy, a guy that, uh, you know, worked hard for what he has earned now with the Bengals and a guy I think we all hope is productive for this team, obviously, given the expectations that are now going to be placed on him. But uh, did you happen to see the entire interview, John? Uh, I did not, but I did see like I did like that one quote about, you know, you know, um, there's a difference between, I guess, like joining like like a team that's like ready to compete and, you know, um, trying to build, I guess, um, a, a team from scratch and, and joining like, you know, a, a young core that you believe in. And I think that, that that's something that I guess the Bengals are glad to hear because they know they're not necessarily in that in that Tom Brady um, Buccaneers w- window just yet. So, you know, to, to get guys that. I guess want to buy into that, you know, it, it doesn't hurt them. And I know that, that that's something that I think a lot of Bengals fans were very excited to hear about. Yeah. Character and work ethic and all those things are kind of things that you positive, positive remarks that follow this kid. And he's a guy that, you know, hopefully he can translate that after he gets paid the big money. But um, you know, uh, Zach Taylor and company have preached character, character, character in their locker room, want to get players who, you know, love football, work hard, and uh, don't cause a lot of waves elsewhere while being hopefully productive. And this this guy kind of fits that mold. And, you know, in, in the interview, too, just in case you haven't seen it, he talks about why he chose Cincinnati. He talked a little bit about playing in New Orleans with Joe Burrow's rise to stardom at LSU, which was interesting. And then he, he kind of made a remark also about, you know, Drew Brees playing with Drew Brees, number nine, now with Joe Burrow, number nine. So interesting interview. Go check it out. Fox 19 and Joe Daneman. Thanks uh, for, for that cool interview from them. Did you have one more item to add, John? Uh, no, no. I, oh, I think, oh yeah. yeah. You look like you're gonna you're gonna no. say something. Okay. Well, we've I, I said it at the beginning of the show. We uh gosh, we are just cruising along in this show, by the way. It's just unbelievable. Uh okay, so we've done a lot of free agency profiles. Uh John and I have kind of traded off on those. We've talked about in some of our state year cases, we've talked about some rookies, you know, namely Jamar Chase versus Devontae Smith and uh, you know, other rookies as well we haven't really done too much of a 
prospect profile. We did a lot of these last year. We're going to continue doing them this year. And with all of the talk of the need of offensive linemen and the Bengals need offensive help and all of that, our first prospect profile Mm -hmm. is is going to be an interior defensive lineman. (laughs) So uh, look, I I gotta, I I gotta let my USC bias, my PAC 12 bias come through. I've been talking, I I know I've been talking about this guy for a long time and he's, he's a player that I think, can help the Bengals in a lot of different ways. He's a guy that he didn't, he's a little bit of a mystery to some because he did not play last year. One of those college players that opted out of the season, a very productive player. It's been a tumultuous couple of years for the Trojans. So it's hard to, hard to really get a, you know, a read as to how productive this kid can be. But it's Jay Tufele of USC. He's a defensive lineman. He moves around a little bit on their defensive line. He has played three tech and one tech for him. And the the Cincinnati Bengals need help on uh, on their interior defensive line. Geno Atkins, whether he he stays and or is not, uh, takes a pay cut and stays. Whether he's a guy that they end up cutting to get more space, maybe to make some more moves in free agency. I don't know. I, I, We've kind of thought he's probably going to be a cut candidate, but it's a little surprising that hasn't happened yet. Maybe that happens after the Bengals make one of these signings we've been talking about. Jake Tufele is a guy who's played, as I mentioned, multiple spots on on the defensive line for the Bengals in the interior. He's an athletic guy, 6'3", 315. He's a guy who does a lot of different things for you. He's a very active player and a guy who – I think could be one of those guys that not only rises as the draft, and I know a lot of people don't like that phrase, but a guy who gets more buzz as the draft approaches, he could be an early night two guy. I think he's gone by, by round three personally. Um, And maybe that's when the Bengals take, uh, take the, the podium in round three. There's some talk that he, he would go round two, maybe, maybe last till early day three. We'll see. But He's a guy that I know Marvin Lewis isn't here, but this team likes those, you know, third, second round, third round, fourth round guys to get interior defensive linemen that can can get after the passer, can do a lot of different things, disrupt the backfield, even as an early rotational piece. I think he can be an exciting player. Now, if you look, we can look at his statistics here. He's a guy has not he again did not play in 2020 played 24 total games in 2018 and 2019 and racked up 10 sacks from the interior, three sacks, three and a half in 2019. So, you know, uh, I'm sorry, six and a half sacks, 10 tackles for loss. Pardon me. Um, so three and a half last year in 20 and 2019, and then three in 2018. Again, a movable piece. He's a big guy. He's very nimble for his size and a guy that, I think the Cincinnati Bengals would would really really like and really value. I don't know how much you know about him, John, um, or how much you've had a chance to check him out. Here's a little a little uh, play here. I uh, got it mid clip, unfortunately, but oh, he scored a touchdown. Yeah, he scored a big man touchdown. Big man touchdown against that's Utah. A, that's a stock uh, up right there. Yeah, so here there's a strip sack, uh, and then he he scoops, stays on his feet. And this is this is the thing with him. He's a guy that is very athletic and very nimble for being 310, 315. 
the production, maybe you want a little higher, but for versatility purposes and for athletic purposes, upside purposes, I really like this kid for the Bengals and they need help on the defensive interior. So I can understand the slight, I don't want to say lack of production, but not like high quality, like high volume production for a defensive lineman. He only played two years. I believe he's only 21 years old. So he's on the younger side. Had he played in 2020, who knows if he would have really broken out. So I'm going to rely on you, I guess. Like like my first question was, if he had gone to the combine or like if the combine existed, do you think he would have been one of those guys that, you know, tested like that, that Geno Atkins type, you know, a little bit undersized, but tested very explosive, tested very flexible, tested very fast. Like, like if he's that level of athlete, then, you know, the the lack of preferable size or, or the lack of production kind of gets thrown out the window. He's a guy that, that has that athletic profile of a high quality pass rush rusher. So I can, I can get by with like the, maybe the lack of production because he only played two years and he's on the younger side. So I guess my question would be, is he that type of high end athletic guy? And also, you know, does he stand out when you like when you watch him on, on a USC team? Because if that production isn't there, then the flashes have to be there. That, that that's the way that he's going to get noticed, and that's the way he's going to, I guess, quote unquote, rise up in the draft. Because you know, this, that's the great thing about this year for me. Because I don't know a lot of these guys had they either opted out or I guess I haven't really been paying attention to, as of as of yet as as of late. So if he's this this day two guy, I'd never heard of him. You know that that's like my perspective is, is all, is all out there. I, I have no like basis on, on whether this guy's good or not. So I guess my questions would be, is he that high end athletic guy? And is he a guy that kind of stands out on a team that doesn't have a lot of talent? I think he's pretty athletic for his size. I mean, here's a clip here that's on loop here. It's uh, at Rob underscore underscore Paul, Bobby football. Um, you, you can see he lined up uh, off the guard there and, and makes it get some penetration and, and makes a very nice play. Here's the, here's the, goal line view of that gets gets yeah. through there and makes it makes a very nice play he moves well laterally john which i like um you know for for his size again 310 315 you know when you're talking geno atkins he's in that 290 a little bit plus range a little shorter this guy's this guy's bigger he's bigger and I, I think he moves really well for his size now i don't know how this will translate to some of these these shuttle cone all those kinds of numbers but when you look at some of this stuff he he just moves really well and i i would venture to guess that he will test pretty well i don't know i, I would have a more firmer grasp as would a lot of people in in terms of popping off the tape consistently all of that if he played last year i think if he played last year even if it was for a few games you may have seen a guy that either because there was a lack of the offseason and it affects a lot of different people different ways, maybe it would have been a negative on him. It would have been a knock. He wasn't – maybe he wouldn't have been in shape. I don't know. I mean, I'd like to think he was. But I think if he had played last year, I think he would have had a little bit more of a grasp in terms of the true athleticism. But I think for his size, he brings size, he brings good lateral movement, and you can move him around in a couple of different places on the defensive interior um, I, I don't know that he's ever going to be a, an absolute star and, you know, one of these guys, a Fletcher Cox or what have you in this league. I don't uh, or Geno Atkins, that sort of thing. But I think he could be a very solid player for a defense. And, and I think he could be a guy that, that could come in right away and help you out on a rotational basis if you're the Cincinnati Bengals. Right, and we have no idea if Geno Atkins is going to be on this team when, when the draft comes and or even – you know, in the next couple of weeks or so. So, you know, they need three techniques. They need bodies at that position. They have like four nose tackles on the roster, but this guy seems like he can play all over the line, but has that athleticism to really 
uh, shoot up those B gaps and you know provide a pass rushing presence there because that that's what that's what Hendrickson and, and Hubbard and Reed are going to need like you know guys that have a little burst to them and and can win their one on ones so it, it is hard I guess for defensive tackles to come in immediately and you know play well that, that's the one thing that people are still waiting on Ed Oliver you know a guy who was an athletic freak and a productive freak mm-hmm. out of Houston he's kind of yet to really find his stride so you know defensive tackles they kind of take a little bit longer to really you know find their groove and get into something it doesn't always happen like Geno Atkins you know that's why he's such a unicorn but I think you know based off of you know what what you've said and what what I've what I've seen and and what his overall profile is I think he's a guy that has that athletic upside to eventually find his groove if he's placed in in the right spot and has enough talent around him the the good news the good news is uh you have with with his size in the lateral movement, I mean, when, when you're that big and you can move laterally well, you're hard to block. That's that's just a, a yeah. general statement. And the other thing with it, John, is you know the ability because of his size, he has the ability to play. I, I think I've said this four times now. He has the ability to play different spots on the interior and and be effective from those spots. And I, I think that just brings value. And for for a team that wants versatility wants to get after the passer. This is a guy in those, in those mid rounds that makes sense. I think you have to make sure you get value there. I would be maybe a little comfortable if the Bengals uncomfortable, if the Bengals use their, their second round pick, the top of the second round pick on a player like this. But I think if this kid's sitting there in the top of round three, definitely in the top of round four, and you haven't done much to fortify the interior of your defensive line, I think you take a flyer on this kid. This isn't, you know, I, I think I think you're going to get more production, hopefully, and I still have high hopes for a guy like Rennell Wren, but I think you're going to get more production from a guy like this, uh, especially early on, than, than maybe some of these others that they've invested in recently. They need defensive line help. They still do, even with Hendrickson. You know, it's, it remains to be seen if they're going to add to that position in free agency and what they're going to do with Geno Atkins. But that is our first uh, draft profile. Thanks to Anthony for introducing us to another USC kid. I'm sure we're going to hear from four more guys <laughs> Ross here before the draft comes around. But that's the first of our of our offseason. And now I guess there's nothing else to do but drop the mic. So, Anthony, the floor is yours. Well, John, I don't want to steal thunder here, but I think we would be remiss if we didn't talk about the great A.J. Green and what he has done for the Cincinnati Bengals. He came to the team in 2011 when the team needed a lot of help and needed a lot. I mean, they were predicted to basically go winless that year. And, you know, when Andy Dalton left the team, I took the year because it was such it was big news. The Bengals had drafted Joe Burrow and. I mean, it was inevitable. They tried to trade him, but they couldn't. They let Andy Dalton go, and he went to the Cowboys. Now he's on the Bears. But we kind of did a nice little you know, news update swan song for Andy Dalton, and we would be remiss if we at least, because it happened today, if we did not do the same for A.J. Green, because as important as Andy Dalton was to the team, and a lot of people don't like to readily say that, A.J. Green was more important. And to a large extent, Andy Dalton was a, was a good quarterback for the team. There were ups and downs with that, but to a large extent, much of Andy Dalton's success can be directly credited to AJ Green. And I, I know you feel the same way on that, John. Um, I, you know, I, we we can play. I'm sure everybody's seen the Bengals tweet out the video that they put out, which was very very great. I guess we can try and play that one too if if we want to. But you know, there's so many memories of AJ Green and so many things that he did so well. And unfortunately, because of injuries, because of the team he played for. And because he played in an era of, of a lot of good wide receivers, some even in, in the same draft class, John, unfortunately he gets overlooked. I hope it, he does not get overlooked by the time Hall of Fame 
nominations come for him because I, I think he's deserving of it to this point. And I know that's maybe easy to say given the fact that he's not a Bengal anymore, but um, uh, I, I think he's a Hall of Fame worthy player. You know, it, it's tough for receivers, especially ones who just don't have that all pro nominations to the name or don't have any playoff success. So I, I hope he, you know, hope he somehow finds, you know, a spark in Arizona and, you know, finds, you know, a chance to compete in the playoffs because that would definitely help him. But yeah, it, it was it was inevitable. You know, we kind of knew this from the end of the season and really before the season. As soon as they didn't get an extension, it was it almost seemed inevitable that they were going to let him go. And especially when he just didn't look the same. And that you know, with Kyler Murray and DeAndre Hopkins and maybe even Larry Fitzgerald. You know, F- Fitzgerald was the guy that he idolized for his entire career. So it'd be it would be fun to see him. You know. R- you know, play at least a year with him. You know, who knows what the Cardinals are going to do with their longtime guy. But, you know, I, I always look back to that 2011 season with Green. Just it was so much fun because, like you said, they weren't expected to do anything. And just Green and Dalton just like just being a gunslinger and just throwing it up to him. You know, I, I remember against the Bills, he had these two insane catches down the field. And I was like, yeah, it's like this guy's great. It, like he's he's just as good as Chad, but he's like different in ways that where he wins as a jump ball receiver and he wins in the quick game and he wins in the red zone. He does everything that you want a receiver to do well. And he only got better, which was, which is incredible to see. There's so many good memories from him and we can, we could probably spend an hour talking about AJ green as well, but it, it, it wasn't, I guess because we all knew it was going to happen, it, it, I was almost a little bit numb to the news because we knew he was going to go elsewhere and we knew this for a long time, but it still is a little sad, you know, a guy who's been here for 10 years and now he's going to try to rekindle his career and hopefully find some more success to build that resume of his. But if he doesn't make the Hall of Fame, we do know he's probably going to be in the Bengals ring of honor. Whenever that comes, yes, yeah. uh, we, we would we, we'd like to think so. You know, there's, there's always going to be the Chad versus AJ conversation you know as as to the greatest wide receiver in Bengals history of course Isaac Curtis should be in that discussion yes Carl Pickens should be in that discussion as well but I think when you look at the numbers and everything AJ Green Chad Johnson are the the two guys that you know are, are kind of head and shoulders above above all of them now they've got another good 85 in the wings here and T Higgins hopefully he continues to be a good player but you know I, I the one thing that I thought I know Chad's got some of the the franchise records and the important things and the important statistics and Chad did a lot of great things uh, for this team and and there's a there's a good argument for him to you can say he's the best Bengals receiver ever obviously and then depending on which day of the week I could probably be persuaded for either guy but one thing that really stood out to me with AJ Green and I'd have to go look back at the stats but it just seemed that in the important divisional games AJ Green shined and there were a couple of times, against, namely against Pittsburgh. Chad did very well against Cleveland, did very well against Baltimore. Uh, against Pittsburgh, Chad Chad had some uh, some tougher games, whereas A.J. Green seemed to score the touchdowns. You look back to that wild card game in the rain with A.J. McCarron. He had the big play there. I just seem to remember him making a lot of plays in the division, in, in those important games every year. And that, to me, always kind of stood out. And, you know, the fact that uh, – the fact that he was a guy that just was very quiet about his business, you know, doesn't, it wasn't a lot of, there were some explosive things like, you know, the Jalen Ramsey thing. Um, there were some explosions of emotion at times, but for the most part, a great representative of the team and a guy that, that just was quiet business-like and made play after play after play, John. And uh, you know, it, it was time, I think, unfortunately to, for the Bengals to say goodbye, but 
still doesn't make it easy. You want to talk about divisional performance. The first game they ever played, he had a 41-yard touchdown pass from Bruce Karkowski when Andy Dalton That's left right, the game winner, yeah. Yeah, and you, you mentioned like the, the Steelers' playoff clincher in 2012. There was the, the crazy 70-yard reception and run from the, against the Ravens, the Hail Mary against the Ravens, the Hail Mary against the against the, um, the Browns, the yeah. should-have-been playoff winner against the Steelers. The, the, the guy shined. The, the guy shined when you needed him to, and he was clutch, and it was, it was just unfortunate that – it, it never worked out just as good as it could have been for how talented that, that he was here. Yeah. And it would have been nice too, even if, even if he walked away from the Bengals this year, it would have been nice too, if he had a, a solid season this last mm-hmm. season, you know, I mean, he played, he played the whole season, but there were a lot of issues this season. And I, I would have liked to have seen him kind of, even if he went on to another team or whatever, um, I would have liked to have seen him have at least a, a little bit more of a solid season for playing an entire one and, you know, continued to and said, hey, I, I'm still productive. I'm still I, I can still play at a high level. Maybe that happens with the Cardinals on that offense. They've got a lot of talent there. It's just a matter of putting it together. And of course, A.J. Green staying healthy. But number 18 is always a special one. Um, I, I hope if they're into if they get into the business of retiring jersey numbers, that that's one they, they don't you know, they don't let anyone else have uh, going forward because he was a special one. So that's that's what I got for the mic drop. It sounds like you were you were arm in arm with me on that one. Yeah. And I'm like, I, I just wanted to share, you know, we, we talked about we talked about Chad a little bit, but I feel like Chad just like lives his life. He's in South Beach. He's playing Madden. He's playing <laughs> FIFA. He's just smoking. He's smoking cigars, watching like some some European soccer. But whenever like Bengals news breaks, he's always on it. He's not, and here. He is recruiting both Kenny Galladay and Riley Reef to come to the Bengals, offering McDonald's and stuff like that. So, <laughs> you know, well, go back to the Galladay. Can you go back to the Galladay picture real quick? That looks like the New Jersey mock-up, right? Well, he, he, he definitely stole this yeah. from Ha Edits, who works for who's a contributor for allbengals.com. He definitely yeah. ripped that from there, but I mean, he, he, he makes the effort. He just, he just, whenever you, whenever you need him to be an ambassador, he just, just, he's like, it's like the Batman. He's like shine the Batman. So signal. Yeah. He'll, he'll just be there on Twitter to get the job done. So <laughs> I like, I don't, I don't think we'll ever see AJ green do stuff like this. That's just, that's just what makes them two different. Like they're they're just different guys, and it's fun to compare them. But at the end of the day, they meant so much to this team, and the, their their legacies and their impacts will will still live on. Absolutely. Well, that's going to do it. I think for us tonight, we had a jam packed show. Went a little longer, and uh, unfortunately, started a few mi- minutes late as well. But good stuff, John. I appreciate uh, everything that you have done um, for this show and um, for this episode in particular. I appreciate it, and um, well, we're we're good for Friday for listener questions live, right? We are absolutely good for Friday. All right, cool. Well, we'll see you guys then. We'll keep you updated on all the free agency comings, goings for the Cincinnati Bengals as well as This is the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. We will see you next time. Have a good rest of your week. And happy St. Patty's Day for those of you who may be celebrating and be safe if you are.